In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey, are you a dad raised by a single mom? Are you a dad raised by a father who was there but not really there? Are you a dad raised in a home with a father who wasn't a Christian? We live in a day and age where we have thousands and thousands and thousands of men who are raising families and they have no idea what they're doing, which is probably why you're tuning into this show. Man, you are going to love our interview with my friend Ken Evans talking about a book he wrote called Bring the Hammer. We have a great and lively dialogue. You're going to love the tools that he's going to put in your tool belt. So stay tuned. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I am Jim Ramos, your host of Spotify's number one podcast, for Christian men and your guide to becoming the best version of yourself inside the stress bubble of life and beyond. Guys, thanks for tuning into the show today. I want to jump on into one of our hero stories. Again, these hero stories are provided by you. And when we use your hero story, we want to send you some swag just for saying thank you. So uh, hit us up at info at menarena.org with your physical address so we can send you some gear just to say thank you. So this one came from a man who wrote, I'm a 14-year combat controller in Air Force Special Operations on my 8th deployment, usually assigned to special forces or SEAL team providing air-to-ground integration. I really want to know what that means. Anyway, he writes, the Men in the Arena podcast has been great in my life. My pastor and I text each other daily with thoughts and ideas about your show. Thanks for all the podcasts and keep up the good work. And I just want to say to you, thank you for your service. Uh, right after we celebrated Veterans Day last week. Man, God bless you. Thank you. And we're so excited that you are in the arena and doing the best you can to be God's man. So thanks so much. Hit us up and we'll send you some swag. Hey guys, stay tuned to the end of our interview for our weekly man law. You are going to love it. And guys, thanks for making the Men Arena podcast Spotify's number one podcast for Christian men. Guys, I'm excited to bring on my good friend, Kent Evans. I think Kent may have been on the podcast more than any other man. So he, this is his third run at it. And so that puts him in a special category. So we're excited to have him on the show today. So Kent lives in Louisville, Kentucky with his beautiful wife of 27 years, April. Kent is the executive director and co-founder of Manhood Journey, helping dads become disciple makers. He's an equipper of men, a Christian speaker, and the author of three books, including Bring Your Hammer, 28 Tools, Dads can grab from the book of Nehemiah, which is our subject today. And if you want to know about the other two books, just go through the history of this podcast. You can go to our website, search Kent Evans. You're going to find the other two books, man. So we're excited to have Kent on. Kent, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I think the only reason I've come back so frequently is, like you told me, eventually, if we have him back enough times, he'll finally get one right. I'm going, man, can you just write a book I like? I mean, come on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I will tell you, and I told you this yesterday, this is my favorite book so far. Of, like uh, of all time? Of your three books. <laughs> oh, yeah. gee. Of, in, your, in, yeah, in, your, in my library with your three books, this is my favorite. Uh, because, one, it's, it's t- taken right out of, like, scripture. 
Two, you've got some really cool uh, points about fathering I'd never thought of. And three, honestly, I just absolutely love the title. I will probably oh, never forget yeah. the title. I mean, bring your hammer. I mean, I thought you were going to play, you know, P.O.D.'s boom in the background. You hit a QR <laughs> code. It's like, boom, here comes, you know what I mean? Boom, so, baby. So, no, well, I really appreciate shout out this. To, <laughs> quick shout out to Eric Ballard, who helped write some of it. And he did an amazing job. Good friend of mine down in Houston, Texas. And he collaborated with me on this project. And it's the first book I've done with a co-author who helped a lot, do a lot of the content. And so we had a blast doing putting it together. You know, I've never done a co-authored work, but I sure would be willing to do that. That would be fun. Get your name on a book. You get the privilege of saying, I wrote another book and you don't have to do all the work. It's beautiful. Man, you just get half the royalties exactly. though. That's the, that's probably the only down, downside. <laughs> Wait so. a minute. No, I get 92%. Don't tell Eric. What? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I want to, I want your lawyer to be my lawyer. Uh, <laughs> hey man, we, I, Hey, I, you know, all fun and joking aside, I want to dive into this because there's a lot here. And, and this book has 28 tools that get dads can grab from the book of Nehemiah. Because there are 28, I took my top 10. So this is my top nice. 10 list. So if guys want to know all 28, they're just going to have to go buy your book. We'll provide the link at the end of the show. So I want to, first of all, Kent, tell us a little bit more about yourself. So I am five foot three inches tall. We talked about that before the show. Uh, I've been married 27 years to an amazing wife named April. We have five sons. <clears throat> they are ages 22, 20, 18, 11, and seven. And I have one daughter-in-law. She's uh, also uh, 22 or so. And they live, my oldest kids live in Nashville. I got one in college, one in high school, two in grade school. And uh, I have an amazing wife who keeps up with all of the six men in her life and her new daughter-in-law. And help me out. Are two adopted? Yes. The youngest two were adopted from the great country of Ethiopia. Okay. I remember I remember in our last interview, you had mentioned that. And I just remember the picture going, wait, there's a lot of white and some brown here. So this doesn't make sense. Yeah. So so how, that's uh -huh. really cool. And you got a beautiful family. And I want to say, I want to go on record and say, you would tower over John Wesley if he were here today. He was five foot two. Exactly. So, and he's he was oh, 122 God. pounds. So you're like, You've got more shoulders. You would just crush him. So, so well, no worries, yeah. man. And I've got, I've got uh, forty or forty-five pounds on him too. Oh yeah, baby, bring the heat, baby. Hey, let's talk about. Let's try, dive in your book. So, those who have read the book of Nehemiah, it's one of the best books on leadership in the Bible, in my opinion. It's really phenomenal. Nehemiah, we we don't know if he was a parent. He never talks about being a parent. Uh, I'm guessing he was not a parent because he was kind of a a bartender, you know, our friend Paul Cole <laughs> wrote a book called just a bartender and he calls Nehemiah yeah. a bartender. You know, he uh -huh. was the one handing the drink to the King. And if he died, the King was like, I shouldn't take a sip of that drink. But <laughs> you talk about the value of walls and why walls were so important and why the walls around Jerusalem being broken down were why it was so traumatic for Nehemiah and he had to do something. Can you talk to us about walls and why these are so important in ancient times and why we need to build walls as men as well yeah it's hard for us to picture that because we're in a culture where that doesn't quite make a lot of sense but mm -hmm. in that era you would have had a wall would have done several things for a city uh number one it would have protected them right so you need the wall for physical protection but it also had a like a spiritual significance almost like if the wall was good and strong, it meant that kind of, you know, God was for you or that, mm -hmm. you know, you had some protection from on high kind of thing. It was very important. And the third piece we forget about is the construction of most ancient city walls also included the construction of homes and other relevant structures inside the wall. So a lot of times people would live where three of their walls were their house and the fourth wall was the outer wall. And so the wall wasn't just like a barrier around the city all by itself. It also oftentimes involved a lot of the families or the leaders or even the king or the mm -hmm. nobles of a city. So walls were extremely important. And for Jerusalem's wall to be completely destroyed and, and uh, let, left to rot as long as it had been, Nehemiah was heartbroken when he heard that it was still that way and had never been repaired. He knew he had to do something. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. As you were talking, I was thinking of ancient the ancient city of David, the ancient Jerusalem when King David was king. It was only like 11 or 12 acres. It was very, very small. And we remember that scene, and I think it's a 1 Samuel chapter 11 when he's on the roof and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And people go, oh, that peeping Tom. Well, well, what they don't realize, oh, yeah, he was a peeping Tom. But what they don't realize is that his 30 mighty men built their homes around the palace. 
Yeah. And so when he's looking down, he's looking down on each of the 30 homes of his mighty men. And there, lo and behold, is Bathsheba. So the, the mighty men acted as a wall for the king. Right. And so, yeah. you know, so as men, we to this day are supposed to build walls. And so that's why I love the book that, you know, we are wall builders for our family and that's your sweet spot, man. So I really do appreciate that. So I'm just going to dive in to my top 10, bro. So cool. you don't, you don't know what they are. No, you, these I, are my I'm, top 10. I'm going to start with a quote from page 17. You said woven in to this prayer is a glimpse of how deeply Nehemiah understood God's nature and his love for his people. Number one is that God, the godly dad loves those under his care. Now, now Kent, I know that that's kind of a duh thing, <laughs> but, but for me, that's critical to, to the first wall or the first part of building that a man builds around his family. Can you talk to us about love? Cause we use that word in America. Mm -hmm. Like I love pizza. I love the Houston Astros. <laughs> I love, you know, Louisville football. I mean, you know, can you talk to us about love and what you mean by love? What's interesting about the concept of love is uh, like like a lot of other things like money, sex, power, influence. Satan wants to take the idea that God had, which was perfect and holy, and then distort it. You know, I think you could make an argument that Satan really invented or created nothing. He distorts what God creates. Oh, that's and good. So what he's done with love over time is he's turned it into a feeling, he's turned it into a song, he's turned it into an emotion. And I think the number one word most dads or men need to know about the word love is it is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's not something you fall into, it's a choice. It is mm -hmm. a choice. Mm -hmm. And love is kind of like, <clears throat> you know, navigate or drive or eat. Like you're gonna choose these things. You're gonna on purpose do these things. And when I'm loving my wife, when I'm loving my wife well or loving my children well, it's because that's the path I've chosen. And quite frankly, I've chosen it against spiritual opposition. I've chosen it against cultural de redefinition. I've chosen it, chosen it in spite of all that. And loving is so important because often dads start having kids and they're like, oh, what happened to my poker night? What happened to my wife? What happened to my free time, my golf game, my money, my sleep? And they become a little bit embittered yes, toward sure. these children around when it, they should see them as the biggest blessing. Right. Blessed is he whose quiver is full of children. Uh, and we've got to get to that place mentally where, to your point, it sounds kind of duh. But honestly, a lot of guys, especially in their 20s or 30s, still have some low grade resentment against all these kids running around draining mm. the bank account. And we got to get past that. You know, I never thought of that, Kent. And actually, one of your points, which I'm going to get down to later, which was maybe my top point, because when I read it, I went, what? Heck, yes. So, I'm, so you, you, you leaned into that a little bit. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull you out of that space. Cause we're going to dive in there a little bit uh, from now, but I want to, you said something that hit me just now. You said, basically a man love is when we choose for something, but in that choice for love, we are choosing against, yeah. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So to choose love, you're choosing against certain things. What are the things, what are some other things that a man is choosing to reject? One of the biggest ones is self, yep. because by definition, if I love someone, I'm putting their needs above mine. I heard mm. a friend of mine, Tim, who's a really skilled leader and a godly man, and uh, he leads a giant organization. And he said one time, he goes, I am desperately searching through scripture to try to find the verse that says the wife should give up her life for the husband. Mm. <laughs> he goes, but I just can't seem to find it. But I can find plenty where the husband is to give up his life for his wife. Mm -hmm. Right. So the number one thing we're choosing against when we choose to love is we're choosing against self against yeah. self and we're putting somebody first that could be that old lady crossing the street that could be that guy who needs you know his lunch paid for that could be the you know, the young lady with her car broken down on the side of the road we're choosing that we are not going to get to work on time because we are going to stop and help that person who broke who's broken down on the side of the road the biggest one is we're choosing against self well you know it's funny that you said that because titus 1 7 paul uh between titus one seven and first Timothy three, Paul lists at least 20 qualifications for a uh, 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 overseer or leader, which should be the goal of every man, right? I've got a book coming out about these 20, but he talks about not being self-willed. So to choose love, which is sacrifice, we have to reject self-will. So guys, listen up. This is so important. Start there. Start there. Yeah. Have you rejected yourself? 
in the in the <laughs> for the cause of love. Have you Galatians two twentyed yourself? Yeah. For the sake of love. So this is so powerful. You know, Kent, just on a friend level, I've got six or seven uh, friends of mine f- going back to high school and their wives have either left them or their their marriages are in, in, in incredible duress right now. Uh, and it's really interesting. Many of these are Christian couples, but I look at their relationship and I go, where's Jesus in here? Yeah. And it really comes down to this point. Both one or both of them have, has not chosen love they've chosen they've chosen self and well you can't do it on that point um jim even jesus said i didn't come to do anything of my own accord Mm -hmm. you know jesus didn't come down with like the quarterback thing on his wrist and he's calling plays and doing all that he came down and said hey here's my objective do exactly what god said i have no agenda I could argue biblically Jesus had, quote unquote, no agenda of his own. The agenda that he had was whatever God downloaded to him. He's like, I'm here to do what God said. Even John 17, Jesus prayed and said, hey, I kept the ones you gave me. Like, you know, he's like having this conversation with God. I did what you sent me to do. And a lot of guys get into marriage or fatherhood and they don't realize they just agreed to give up themselves. And if they embrace it, if they lean into it, they're going to find all kinds of fruit on the other side of that decision. But mm. some guys go in kicking and screaming and never quite make it all the way in. Yeah, it took me two years to realize I went into marriage for the wrong reasons as a Christian. <laughs> and so uh, and I think a lot of guys do because everything around us tells us it's about us. So I oh, appreciate man. that first point. So second point uh, of these 28, these aren't I didn't take your first 10. I took your top 10, in my opinion. The second one is, this is another no, duh, duh. And I, I just got done doing this this morning. I take an hour every morning. I pray and I pray through the Lord's prayer most of the time. And this morning I did this. The godly dad prays for guidance and wisdom. So not only do I do that, but I prayed for my family, each one by name. And I prayed for my sons and their 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 the women in their lives or the women who will come into their lives. For my youngest son doesn't have one yet. Uh, I'm doing this when you, but but you're saying specifically for guidance and windows wisdom. Talk to us. Well, what's interesting is when Nehemiah, he's working as the cupbearer and his brother visits him and he says, hey, man, how's it going back home? His brother says, not good. It's awful. And so his brother tells him that. And if you look at there's like a stretch in Nehemiah one where Nehemiah does about four or five things right in a row. He weeps. He fasts. He prays and he confesses his own sin. It's crazy. Yeah. The bottom line is. Nehemiah's knee-jerk reaction to trouble was prayer. Knee-jerk reaction to trouble. It wasn't like last resort. Well, I've already strategized and budgeted and done my best and tried my hardest and manned up and pulled up my bootstraps. I guess I better pray now. As my la- No, it was like, no, no, no. One of the very first things he did. And so the filter for us is the husbands and dads is today. Some guy's going to listen to this podcast, Jim. He's going to go home and his wife is going to tell him some bad news Mm -hmm. or his daughter's going to come home and say something went wrong or his son's going to come home with, you know, an attitude and the dad is going to have a problem right in front of him. And the question becomes, is your knee jerk reaction as a man, as a dad, as a husband to pray when you're faced with trouble. Is that our knee jerk reaction? And man, that was convicting. You know, sometimes we write books and people think we got it all figured out. That's why we wrote the book. Heck no, man. When I went through Nehemiah, I was like convicted every other page. I mean, he's an amazing leader and he starts from a posture of prayer. He doesn't end up there as a last resort. Even when he gets to Jerusalem, he rides the walls and prays and asks for wisdom. Absolutely. He's just, and I'll be honest with you. I don't think, I don't think prayer is a man's knee-jerk reaction. I think a man has to learn the discipline of stopping and praying. You know, but hey, Kent, <clears throat> I've been praying with people in ministry over three decades. And the number one prayer, I always pray a verse over people. I love praying the Bible. The number one verse I pray over people is James 1, 5. It's the one time in the Bible where God says, if you ask me for wisdom, I will give it. It's a guarantee. It's a slam dunk. Mm. God wants to give us wisdom, but we have to ask for it. So I I think for men to go, okay, I need to choose love and reject self. I need to choose to pray and reject my knee-jerk problem-solving compartmental mindset, right? (laughs) So these are both things the guy has to kind of train himself into. The third thing is another thing that guys have to train themselves into. I think you're wondering what it is, aren't you? (laughs) 
<laughs> I see you looking. I'm good. wondering what if I it? have it. Oh, I'm wondering if I actually do it. But this one's good because you do because you do it with me and I do it with you. So we have become good friends because we do this mutually. And this is why I appreciate and respect you because you're a go-getter. You're a hard charger. But at the end of the day, you're a humble man because of this trait. The godly dad asks influential people for help. And you and I are really good about going, hey, bro, I need help. Hey, bro, I need your help. I need your help. (laughs) So let's so let's look at these and you offer three practical lessons, right? So this is one of those points you go, hey guys, here's three things you can do to ask for help. So do you want to talk to us about why asking for help is so important uh, for a man in this day and age? Man, it's it is so hard to put this into the length of answer I know we need on a podcast, right? Because I got to put this in a small package. I know, but if guys, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, here's the question. Here's the question. When is the last time you asked a guy for help? Just like for a moment, you're probably mowing the grass or you're doing your workout or you're out in a deer stand somewhere or you're walking to work or driving down the road. When is the last time you asked a guy for help at all? And I, and here's the, here's the second question. Uh, how serious was the help you were asking for? So like, were you asking the guy for like directions to the, the nearest coffee shop? You know, was it something that doesn't even really, like, really count? Or were you asking a guy for how to be a wise husband or how to get out of the financial trouble that you got yourself in or how to deal with a really critical boss or Mm. how to love a prodigal son or daughter? What were you asking? Mm -hmm. What's the nature of the question? And when's the last time you did it? And here's what the Bible would tell you. Proverbs chapter one, wisdom is personified as this woman. And she's waving her arms and she's going, hey, 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 I'm trying to get your attention. I always think of Times Square when I think of that verse, that stretch of Proverbs, like she is not hiding wisdom under some bushel basket. She's screaming and yelling at the city uh, gates, she's saying. She yelled from the, and we wouldn't listen to her. Mm -hmm. So then she says, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the fruit of your stupidity. Like, just go read Proverbs chapter one. God will never leave you or forsake you, but occasionally wisdom will kick you to the curb. And what we've got to be in the habit of doing is reaching out to other men and asking for their help for several reasons. Number one, we have to have a posture of humility. Number two, they know something we don't more than likely. Number three, we create community when we co-help one another. You and I were on a call yesterday, Jim, and you were mentioning a particular ministry thing you were wrestling with that we're actually pretty decent at at Manhood Journey. Meanwhile, you were talking about something that you are way farther down the road than I am and that I need to learn from. And in in 30 minutes, you and I probably traded uh, mentor-protege chairs two or three different times because neither of us has an, an ego or an ax to grind over figuring stuff out. Figuring stuff out. And we just gotta... We got to have a community of men around us that we lean into for wisdom and help, not because it's biblical, although it is biblical, because it's also very practical and it creates the kind of community we all want to live in. And I just, I would go on and on. I'm such a huge fan of this topic because uh, most guys are really bad at it. And the reason we're bad at it is not because of time or anything else. It's just pride and ego. Totally. Well, I love what you said in your book. You said, Hey guys, listen, acknowledge your limitations. Hey, I'm weak at gathering emails for my ministry. Kent is an expert. Okay, there's so realize, number two is realize somebody who has influence. Hey, Kent, you are good at this. And number three, I here's another, there's number three. This is important. I can call you because I have a good relationship. I've, yeah. We've forged that relationship. Yeah. And so God, this is where I think small groups are so important or, or getting involved in a community where you have yeah. brothers who have your back. And, and I think a lot of the reason why guys don't do this, Kent, and maybe I'm wrong yeah. here. Tell me what you think. Am I wrong in thinking the reason why guys don't ask people for help is they don't have a community to ask? Oh, I think we push people away with our hubris and our ego. Mm. How you doing, man? Oh, great, man. I just can't be doing any better. Golly, if I were, if I were any better, I'd be three of me. Like that whole attitude that is. Foyer I have face. No trouble. The foyer face. One of the reasons why you and I, I think, hit it off is because the very first time you and I met several years ago through our friends at NCMM, uh, you're just transparent. You're just willing to say, here's exactly what I'm thinking. Here's exactly what I'm struggling with. Here's exactly where I am. And transparency Mm -hmm. creates community. Transparency creates community. And most guys are unwilling to be transparent. 
Wow. Right? I have not figured out how to sell more than 10,000 copies of any one of my books. You know how I know that? Because none of them have done that. Like, it's just math. It's just simple math. However, there's a lot of guys who have. And here's what's really funny. Real quick yeah. story. I'll go very fast. I was at a, a coffee not long ago with a guy who has is on his 15th book and he sold hundreds of thousands. And the whole time I'm peppering him with questions about how'd you do this? How'd you do this? Tell me about your publisher. Tell me about your way you write. Tell me about where you get ideas from. We had this conversation for 30 minutes. Then he goes, you know, my wife and I are thinking about adopting and they had never adopted, never been in the process. If there were labels above our head, right? Mine said protege and his said mentor right up until the topic of adoption came up and then the labels switched. Yep. And I became the mentor, and he became the protege. That's how it ought to work. Ralph yes. Waldo Emerson said, every man I meet is in some way my superior, and yep. in that I endeavor to learn. And that's true about me, too. I know things yes. Jim doesn't know. Jim knows things I don't know. Why are we so slow in trading those kind of notes? I still don't understand. Well, there's a lot of reasons why. One is pride. One is also not having a kingdom mindset. I'm afraid <laughs> of, if I put you on display, oh. you're going to supersede me or surpass me. But really, if I put you on display and God wins, don't we all win? Don't Jesus I get a piece said, of that? Jesus said, <laughs> you, will do, you will do greater things than I did. Jesus told his guys, yeah. you're going to do greater things than I did. Through the empowering Holy Spirit, you will do greater things than I did. I remember when our pastor left the church that he had pastored for 40 years, 4-0, and he was stellar, still a good friend of mine, preached this past weekend, can still knock sermon out of the park week after week, even after he's been retired for a long time. He said, some people have asked me if I hope this church declines when I leave, as if that somehow is going to be a testament to my leadership. He goes, do you know the number one indicator of my leadership is if this place grows when I lead, because it will mean I left behind faithful men, just like the Bible told me to, and these men will be able to carry on what I started. And I just thought, man, that's it. That's what we should be doing as men, because like we're raising these kids, we're loving these wives, we're leading these organizations. They should be better off after we leave them than before we leave them. Well, hey, that brings me to another point, and that's the next point. Point number four of, of my top ten is that as a dad, my job is not to compete with my children. I have three sons. Uh, I have one that already owns two homes. One, These guys are way ahead of me in so many areas. But I don't want to compete against my children. I want to put them on my shoulders, and I want them to uh, supersede me. I want them to be more successful and better in every way, which is number four. The godly man provides life-giving resources. In your book, you said, all dads can see the necessity to provide the most basic needs, such as food, shelter, and clothing. And here's the problem, Kent. They stopped there, right? Mm. I, I provided uh, material things for you, but you continued. You said, but we don't want to be like other dads. We are called to be set apart. Holy, mm. this means there are other needs that will call for our attention, and we want to be able to provide all the required resources to meet those needs. And this is the issue that a lot of dads miss, Kent. They're like, hey, I provide yeah. a roof over your head. You've got Netflix. You've got a smartphone. But what are dads missing? What? Let's unpack these intangible things that men need to provide. Well, like as an example, I'll tell a quick story. At one point, I was out on the deck with my uh, late teen son, old teen, old, 18, 19, and he and my wife were having what I call a tennis match conversation where she was hitting the ball 100 miles an hour and he was hitting the ball back 100 miles an hour and she would hit it back and he would hit it back and no one was catching, <laughs> no one was receiving, yeah. but everybody was hitting and the balls were moving really fast. And so I just said, hey, time out. And I said, uh, April, would you mind just for a moment, just would you go inside for a second? I need to talk to our son. And so she goes inside and I said, hey, man, listen, uh, before you leave my house as a young adult, there is a skill that I want you to have that you're demonstrating in this moment you don't yet have. And here's the skill. Instead of being like a tennis player where you smack the idea right back at her, I want you to be like a baseball catcher. Mm. And here's your job. Receive the feedback and then gently toss her the ball back and mm. see if she has another one to throw at you. You're like a catcher. The catcher doesn't catch the ball and then stand up and bean the pitcher at 90 miles an hour as hard as he can. He tosses the ball back to the pitcher and then he receives again. And I go, look, I don't even care if you change your behavior. I don't even care if you agree with us. You need the life skill mm. of the ability to receive feedback. And you're demonstrating right now through your actions, you don't have that skill yet, and you're going to have it. 
And I said, so we're going to do this again from the top. And so then I was like, April, come on back out here. Uh, but my point in saying all that is I cared more about his capacity to hear yes. and receive feedback than even his behavior changing. Mm -hmm. I, it wasn't like he needs to stop doing A and start doing B. No, he needs to hear someone be able to say, hey, man, maybe you should stop doing A and start doing B. And we'll be able to receive that and go, good point. Mm. Like, so there are those intangible skills, right? Looking an adult in the eye, handling a job interview, being able to manage your money, tithing. The things that, that I want them to be able to do are the things that are beyond just food, shelter, and clothing. Uh, if my kids leave my house and they don't know how to get into God's word and understand it for themselves, I've failed as a father. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If they're 18, 19 years old and they can, you know, get a D1 scholarship and make a million bucks and date the prettiest girl and all that stuff, but they can't read scripture, bro, I feel like I'm a failure as a dad. And well, so for me, I'm focused on some of those behaviors that are character centric and not necessarily like just attainment centric. Well, another thing, Kent, you, you came at it from a different angle than I was thinking. So I appreciate that. The other thing is. You know, I can Did supply... I get this off track. No, 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 no. This is really good because you looked at it from a different angle. I was thinking, you know, as a dad, I want to provide the physical and fiscal resources to my kids, but I also need to provide them the intangibles like love, unconditional acceptance, value, worth, right? So I want to I want my children to develop into whole human beings who are also equipped to read God's word, uh, contribute yeah. to society, listen, receive, toss it back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's kind of twofold yeah. things there, right? I'm, I'm providing intangible resources, but I'm also training my children with these intangibles to make them full functioning followers of Jesus and good citizens. I heard a guy say one time, my objective as a dad is to release my children into the world as adults, not mm -hmm. in order to try and become one. <laughs> yes, yes. That was a, that that was is a great good. turn of phrase, right? Like, yeah, well, I know we're, we're all works in progress. I get it. But I'm just like that mindset that says, man, yeah, by the time they're 18 or 19 and they leave my house, they need to be able to manage their own schedule and pay their own bills and put gas in the car and new, even eat, eat right. You know, not just eat sugar and fat all the time. Like, they got to be able to ha take care of their body. There are those things that as a dad, I owe to my kids more than just help them, you know, yeah. find out some lucrative career or whatever. Yeah. My, my job when, when my kids left, I raised three males and the goal was they would leave the house as men that they would have that exactly. transition. Right. And not have to figure out what is a man. And that's what you do with manhood journey. That's what you're doing. You're helping dads understand manhood. You're helping them under teach their children to do that, but we can't do that unless we have this fifth point and this fifth point, I really appreciate this because you don't get this point in a lot of parenting books, but you said uh, it's a godly dad discerns true needs around him. And you you wrote, mm. we discern best when we're taking input in, not when we're spewing it out. Put another way, to discern is to listen. Listen with your eyes, our ears, our heart, our minds. Discerning, this goes back to your son playing tennis with your, your, your wife. Discerning is a posture of intake, not outflow. At the moment we're discerning, we're usually receiving, not giving. Do you want to extrapolate on that? Well, what I would say is we've all been in this situation where our kids come home with some kind of a problem. And so, like, for if you're a dad with kids still in the home, those problems often have to do with something at school. So I, I think this is mm -hmm. a very relatable scenario for many, many dads. The kid comes home and says, oh, my teacher – they just, and on they go, right? Yeah. They don't listen. They're too da 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 The temptation as a dad is to go, oh, okay, I see the problem here. The problem here is that crazy teacher. And I'm going to go and, you know, go to the school board. I'm going to get my five minutes in at the meeting. I'm going to send her, an, oh, I'm going to email her right now. Whoa, 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 whoa. What I used to tell my boys was, ah, so you have a, a rough teacher, do you? You have an over-demanding teacher. You have a unkind unfair teacher who expects too much that sounds interesting ever think you might have a boss like that one day right and then we'd have a conversation about what should you do if you have a person in your life who is demanding and then we just switch the problem mm -hmm. <laughs> the problem is no longer oh that teacher 
The problem is, what are you going to do about it? One hundred percent of the time, we own our response. One hundred point zero 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 percent of the time, we own our response. My boys got so sick of me saying this. <clears throat> Jesus Christ dying on the cross at the moment said, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If he can say that while being nailed to the cross, yep. you cannot be a jerk 14-year-old to your demanding teacher. And so, like, I would occasionally have my boys come to me with a problem. they go, Dad, here's my problem. And I know Jesus died on the cross, so I can handle this. But listen. <laughs> and I was like, exactly. And it's not that I didn't get it right all the time. I'm not trying to cast myself as I figured it all out. But what I am saying is, What's the actual problem? So when you say we discern yes. the true needs, the true needs, when your kid comes home and they feel left out of the cool social group, are you mad at the cool social group? Or do you realize your kid has a heart problem because they don't feel whole inside unless they're included? Wow, let's talk about that problem in their heart because they're going to have that with them forever. They're not going to have the same social circle forever. Yep. So let's talk about the true need. The true need is they need to feel secure in who they are, regardless of what the cool kids are doing. And that's for us as a dad to discern and react to in these, you know, 10 moments a day. I know it's hard. I've been there, but like, we got to do it to help our kids get through these issues. Well, and here's the deal. Dads get out of your bulldozer, turn the engine off, put the blade down, you don't need to bulldoze their problem. You need to teach them how to work through it themselves. And what happened in your book, you talked about entitlement. And when we, when we don't do that, we, and we go to bat for our kids, even though our kids may be wrong. And it may just be a teacher that sees something great in our kids and is pushing our kids further than others would. We, if we, if we try to bulldoze that problem down, we're creating a spoiled entitled person who is not going to leave our house as an adult. And that, that's a huge warning for dads, a huge warning. And they're so, going to have that issue in a job sometime. Absolutely. They're going to have a demanding boss or they're going to have a wife who's overcritical one time or whatever. And they got to understand they own their response. They well, that, that leads, and that leads to my sixth uh, point of yours. And this is chapter 15. So this is, it sounds like I'm being antithetical here, but I'm not the godly dad. He gets out of the bulldozer. He, he, he turns the helicopter blades off the wife's helicopter. He gets out of the, he, he shuts it down. The godly dad though, protects the ones he loves from danger. So am I, am I, am I uh, opposing myself here? Am I contradicting myself? What, what do you mean when you say he protects the ones he loves from danger? There is uh, a tendency in our society because news and information is so easy to get to that we forget our kids' minds are still being formed and they don't need access to every bit of information in the world. Mm. And I think when I say protects, I'm not saying they they don't have any challenges in life. That's not that. It's not, I'm not saying, oh, well, they don't ever need a hard teacher or a rough coach or you know a demanding assignment. No, no, no. What I'm saying is there are things from which our children need to be protected until they're old enough to understand how to process it. Think of the trees in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> there's a tree of life, which God said, yeah, that's a great tree. Uh, then there's the tree of good and evil, right? No, there's the tree of the knowledge of good yes, and evil. Yes. And that's what's amazing about that tree is that God didn't even want Adam and Eve to know evil existed. It's not just so much that they would taste it and eat it and want it. It's that he didn't even want their brain to be soiled with the knowledge of evil. And so as a dad, there are moments where I need to guard my children. Like, don't give your 11-year-old son a cell phone. <laughs> like, you know, unmonitored in his bedroom. Don't give him his own laptop computer. You know, like, I get on my soapbox about that. But, like, there's parts of the world we've got to protect them from until they're at a place where I remember telling my 19 year old son who was walking through a really tough situation. And I just said, Hey man, Satan's going to come after you on this. And I have, uh, I have good news and I have, uh, other good news. And he goes, all right, what's that? I said, the good news is I will walk alongside you and help you fight the spiritual battle. Like I'm going to help you. The other good news is I can tell you when the battle will end for you. And he goes, really? And I said, yeah, when you die, that's when it ends, buddy. <laughs> 
And I yeah. said, and I said, welcome to the fight. Welcome to yeah. the fight. Because this is the battle. Me and Jim Ramos and all my friends, we're fighting all these battles, and we continue to fight them every day, every week, every month, and they don't end. And so for me, that was the moment when I could no longer protect him, right, from that particular struggle. And I could just say, hey, man, this is the way it's going to be. But I'll be there with you. I'll fight with you. Yeah. Uh, and But there are times when we got to protect our kids. And I think, if anything, we're allowing our kids access to too much really damaging, very hard to process information, whether it's global pandemics or school shootings or whatever it might be. Man, my eight-year-old doesn't need to know there was another school shooting. So i got to watch what I talk about at the dinner table. Well, which is what I appreciate about this chapter. Because I, I know that you love the word of God, which I really appreciate about you. And so you find any opportunity to kind of proclaim that when you write and speak in this chapter, you know, you're thinking about protecting and you and I are having this dialogue, but you wrote this. One of the best ways we can arm our kids to protect themselves is with sound doctrine. Give them right and deep understanding of God's word. I mean, that that can't that is critical, man. We live in a day and age where churches are. Uh, very touchy feely. Uh, the seeker sensitive model is, you know, you know, not not tackling the hard stuff. But see, then our kids go to school, and what is thrown at them? The hard stuff. They're right. they're dealing with abortion issues. They're dealing with wake woke the woke movement issues. They're dealing with all of you know homosexuality issues. And if we're not equipping them with the word of God, man, we're throwing them to the wolves. Oh my goodness! The only way, the only defense against the culture is the truth. Yeah. And you have to know it and your kids have to know it. Uh, and it's been fun watching my older boys get to the places where they're playing truth back to me. You know, like my kid, my college age boys will be like, dad, I know what these kids are doing. They're going to regret that at some point. They're going to, they're going to they're wish yep. they hadn't acted like this in college, yep. you know, and they're, and they're mapping it ahead. And I'm not saying my kids never did stupid stuff in college, but I'm just saying they're mapping ahead because they have a heart and a mind of wisdom and they understand that a, a wise man measures his behavior, you know, cause that's not Kent talking. That's God talking. Yep. And they're, they're pretty steeped in the word and that's their only defense, man. It's their only hope. It's all of our only hope. We, we, we can't understand who God is apart from the word of God. You know, if I hear another person say my truth again, I'm going to vomit <laughs> probably right on top of them. <laughs> because it's this my truth it, this my truth talks to this attitude of entitlement right oh yeah and, and and the hard part about entitlement as a parent is a lot of times our kids are getting the attitude from the parent in fact you wrote oh, this man. you said just possibly they're acquiring this attitude of entitlement from us which leads me to chat number seven which it's chapter 17 which is actually my probably my favorite chapter and we've already discussed this going back to love and rejecting self and choosing something else, right? So chapter 17 is the godly dad defers to the needs of others. Now, I had to read that a couple times because I always tell men, men don't defer, men don't defer, men don't defer. So when I first saw the defer, my, my warning flag popped up. I'm like, come on, Kent. And I went, oh, now I see what he says. So the <laughs> godly dad defers to the needs of others. In other words, he has a default setting. Can you walk us through that? Well, in Nehemiah chapter five, and that chapter, by the way, was written by Eric Ballard. He did a great job mm. talking about Nehemiah five, where there was an allotment of food that could go to the governor of Jerusalem. Mm. And Nehemiah said, neither I nor my brothers took the allotment. And what they were saying was, mm -hmm. you know what? We're, we're going to go last. We're going to go last. We're going to get in line. You ever been to a men's event? <clears throat> and then the, they say, hey, Food line is open, and it's like, you better watch your back. It's like a Who concert. You're going to get run yeah. the heck over by the guys who are like, I need my ribs now. And then there's always a few of those guys who just kind of hang back, and they chat, and they have a conversation at their table. And then once the line dies down, they get up and go get their food. You know, they're just, they're willing to go last. There was a book years ago, I think it was Simon Sinek said, leaders eat last. And I think that's the idea. The idea mm -hmm. is <clears throat> if there's one cookie left and there's five of us, does dad get it because he's the king of the castle? Or does dad say, hey, who would like an extra cookie tonight, right? That's the idea. It's an idea of humility and deference. Not that we defer like we're passive. No, we're actively engaged in letting other people go first. Yeah, what I what I got out of that chapter is I am, de I am deferring. So my default setting is others and not myself. So as a father, 
my default is to my wife and then my children ahead of myself. They go first. I have a bumper sticker on my truck. It says wife is greater than kids. So wife is greater than kids <laughs> and wife is greater than husband. You know, so I have this, but Jesus is greater than all of them. Right. And so uh, I, I, I love that concept, Kent, that men don't defer or they do defer themselves for the sake of others that i just thought that was so powerful to me it's I, just you know it's it's jesus personified right <clears throat> that's where we've got to be is jesus said i did not come to serve i'm sorry i did not come to be served he said i i came to serve yeah and to lay down my life as a ransom for others and that's the mindset we've got to have. You know, I hear this phrase, like you might hear some phrases that you just go, gosh, if I hear this phrase again, if I hear the phrase me time again, I mean, oh, goodness yeah. gracious, goodness gracious. I'm not saying you shouldn't have time alone. Like, yeah, you should read scripture and pray. And there's like solitude is a really good spiritual discipline, but you don't need 14 hours a week of fantasy football time called me time. Like that's not a hey. spiritual requirement. <laughs> hey, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you're living in the stress bubble right now, guys, if you're raising kids in the home, you just got to hang that me time up on the shelf until about you're 50. <laughs> because with until those kids get to middle school or high school, it is rough. It is a rough and steady climb. And, and if you are going to cry about and whine. Now, I will say this. I, I married a great woman and she used to say, you're acting like a jerk. You need to go shoot something. You know, go hunt, you know, and so I think there is that where we have to we have to watch each other and I have to watch watch yeah. my bride and go, hey, honey, you're 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 struggling. You need to go be with the girls or go do your thing, go shopping, you know, do something. But 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 to, to whine about me time, that's really what a male does. Men, men don't really do that. Men just get it done, you know, and so Man. I think that's but that me time whiny. I remember talking to a guy who who was going through a divorce and he actually almost was crying this guy was a man's man looking guy he goes i need my me time and i was like whoa this is not a good thing it, you know, she left him and it was bad anyway but that's a whole other story so okay the godly dad defers the needs of others the eighth of your 28 is the godly dad i love this one kent to me this one it, it really separates the great dads from the good dads all right the godly okay. dad and because because I can be a Christian dad, I can teach the word of God, I can I can defer, I can love. Those are all great things. But this one here, this one here is what separates the true leaders from the guys that are good dads, maybe don't have great leadership ability. This is really what separates Nehemiah as a leader. The godly dad anticipates that trouble will arise. And you write this, you said, it will always be easier to see trouble and mistakes in hindsight. We have to learn to anticipate as many as we possibly can see them coming, recognize the danger before it gets close to us before it is too late. To me, that is, that is the critical aspect of a great dad. He can look at his kids and go, Hey man, I'm seeing son. I'm seeing that you're playing tennis with your mom and you need to be a catcher. And if you're going to play tennis throughout your life, you're going to have problems and you're man, able to see the future. It's it's uh, I've told my boys that when you're young, what happens as you get older is you think in longer spans of time. Like, so as a kid, you think minute by minute. And if you don't get your ice cream right now, it's a bad day, right? Yep. And then as you get a little bit older, you think hour by hour. And then you might think day by day or week by week. Then you start thinking in terms of months, probably when you're in like high school. And then when you're in college and young 20s, you start to think in years. And then when you're in your 30s and 40s, you think in decades. And when you're in your 70s, you think in terms of lifetimes. And so yeah. I've told my boys, I'm like, part of my job as a dad is to impart to you what I can observe from my longer time horizon capacity to think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. While you only think in terms of days or weeks, my job is to give you perspective. Perspective. That's and good. that perspective sometimes is just spans of time. And so what I'll occasionally do is I'll say, hey, what you're doing now, tell me how that's gonna work out for you in five years or 10 years. So like kids, I was on the phone the other day with a guy who was talking to his young boy and daughter and the son was beating up on the daughter and they were kids, they were toddlers, they were goofing off, it wasn't evil, but he was like, hey, whoa, time out. As a young man, later, when you're older, you need to be a protector of mm -hmm. women, 
not an abuser of women. You need to practice on your sister. You need to sh you need to love her and protect her. And what he was doing was he was showing her, he was showing him that little boy. He was helping his little boy look around corners and see into the future. Mm -hmm. Who do you want to be when you're 20 or 30? Let me help you get there because the decisions you're making now they ain't going to get you there. But with a slight adjustment, I can get. I've asked my boys; they're 14, 16, fighting each other, and I'm like, hey. What kind of relationship do y'all want when you're 30 and married? <laughs> and they go, yeah, uh, a good one. And I'm like, sweet. Are we planting those seeds now? We're not. We're not. Let's let's change how this yeah. is going. Uh, and we've got to help them do that. We got to look into the future a little bit, not be clairvoyant, but just be perceptive and observant. Yeah, and just see the writing on the wall. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I think a lot of times as dads, we get so caught up and so busy, we aren't able to see the writing on the wall, and so we need to be able to see, okay. Junior's doing this. This played out down the road as this in our little in our little daughters, That's right. in our sons, you know, because they're all they all have different temp, different temperaments. And we need to figure out, OK, what's going to hurt this kid? Like my youngest, my middle son, Darby, is the only introvert in our family. He's the only one. And he's he a middle that child and he's the middle middle son as well. And so he was always like kind of looking away. He, he never we had Darby look us in the eye. When you talk, look us in the eye. So I taught him how to yeah. shake hands, look people in the eye. He's a wonderful conversationalist now. People love him because he's he's learned to engage, right? But I saw the writing on the wall of this awkward thirty-year-old yeah. guy who could only work with yeah. numbers, right? Does and that you, make sense? And you and I know, you and I know, if he doesn't build just the basic skills, just the basic yes. ones, he doesn't have to become the most outgoing, gregarious person. But if we build the basic skills, we know that's going to unlock doors for him with his future in-law parents. We know it's going to unlock doors for him with his bosses. We know it's going to unlock doors for him to share the gospel when he's more winsome and approachable. We know we can see the restriction of opportunity in the future if this trend line continues. And so we're trying to unlock that for our kids. And we, and we can do that as dads like nobody. We, we've, we've got the perspective. We've got the history. We have just have to anticipate what's down the road and have that discernment. So the next one here with true to Kent form, which again, I included this because I think this is massively important to good dads. And you said it on page 176, you just said it in a sentence. It sounded very much like a Jim Ramos statement. You are the pastor in your home, <laughs> period. Chapter 22, which is the ninth of the 10 that I chose was the godly dad proclaims God's word regularly. Now, listen, men, your job is to proclaim God's word. It's not the children's pastor's job. It's not the youth pastor's job, and it's not the pastor's job because God has made you the priest in your home. Kent wrote, Kent, you wrote, to pass on God's word and all the life-giving scripture found inside, you have to know God's word. You can't teach what you can't know. But, 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 I can't, I, I'm, I'm too busy. I got to be at work early. I get home late. But, 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 but. So how do you how do you answer all the buts? Because you know you hear it all the time. I do too. And I will say this, Kent. This book right here is my field guide. It's my bathroom book for men. It's a 365 day devotional. That book came out of these journals. Yeah. And I would write in my journal, my Bible studies every morning. I would cook breakfast for the kids. They would come down. This is five days a week for 20 years. I did this. And I would read that journal out of that. And that became the book. And we'd talk about, okay, here's what I wrote about the, this Bible verse. What does this mean? And, 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 and I did not do that as my job, Kent. I did that as a, a Christian. Right. So, so what do you say to these guys that go, Hey man, I just can't do this. Man, it's the reason I'm a little bit conflicted, Jim, is because it's like, I almost can't find the right words. It's like, there's something yeah. I want to say where, uh, I can't find the right words. And I think the best way I can put it in a package is uh, if you've ever had a, a life thrown at you, let's say for the sake of argument, you've gotten a diagnosis of cancer and you got to go and you've got to go and get chemotherapy. You find time for chemotherapy. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how yeah. busy you are, how important you are, what job you got, how much life is on top of you. You carve out time for chemotherapy. Why? Because it's a matter of life and death. At some point in your Christian walk, God's word has to become one of the most important consumption intakes every single day. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, you're going to live a half-life of frustration, bitterness, unmet expectations, and grinding because you just don't know. We don't have nearly as many fatherhood or manhood problems as we do theology problems. 
guys who say, oh, I just can't do it all as a dad. Exactly. Where Show me in scripture where you're supposed to do it all. Like, where's that? You know, like, yeah. you're trying to be Jesus. You're trying to be the Alpha and the Omega. That's your problem. Your problem's a theology problem, not a dad problem. And so, dads, we got to know God's word and truth. And here's the, here's the assignment. If you don't know it yet and you don't know it the way you like to, go read Psalm 119 over and over and over again until you feel about God's word the way the author of Psalm 119 feels about mm. God's word. Yeah, what a and if that takes song. you a year... Don't read anything else. Don't read my book. Don't read Jim's books. Go read Psalm 119. Read it over and over and over again until you feel about God's word the way the Psalm 119 author feels about God's word because that will change your life. When you move from seeing God's word as that thing you have to do and you see it as that thing you get to do, it'll change your life. It'll yeah. change your life. So dads, get after it because that's the wellspring. Guard the heart for it's the wellspring of life. We've got to guard our heart with God's word so we can have the, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Isn't that mm. interesting? Would your kids, if I called them and said, hey, how would you describe your dad's mouth? Would your children say, oh, it's like a fountain of life, man. It's life-giving. Would they, wouldn't they? And the reason they wouldn't is not because you're a bad guy, because it's your ideas instead of God's word, God's yeah. ideas. Get your get God's ideas into your brain and out your mouth, and your kids will see your mouth as a as a fountain of life. Well, and I would add to that, Kent. We live in a day and age that's so uh, busy. Uh, technology has really ruined us. It's made us busier, more stressed out than we've ever been. I've got a guest coming on the phone uh, podcast here next week, Brad Huddleston. He wrote a book called Digital Cocaine and then Digital Rehab. It's really excellent. Wow. But uh, for us, what we did, we had every Five days a week, we had breakfast together as a family, period. Now, when the kids got older in sports, it made breakfast more important because they were gone in the evenings. We couldn't do dinner together as well. But I think that we need to get back to this family meal. If it's once a week, twice a week, four times a week, some, start somewhere and have this family meal, and it's there that you can share. And if you can't share at the family meal, then we have texts, and we have phones, and we've got Bible apps. I'm constantly highlighting scripture and sending it to the family, right? What does this mean to you guys? But we've got to find creative ways to gather together and to pastor our children and teach them God's word. And doubling down on that, man, texting is a great way to stay in spiritual contact oh, yeah. with our children. Um, my wife has a family chat rolling with our three older boys and our daughter-in-law and me and her. So there's six of us on it. And as the kids get cell phones, they get added to it. It's like write a passage. Uh, and as they, they are 16 or so and get their cell phone. And so for us, that family chat routinely has encouraging words, scripture. I'll take a picture of what I'm reading in the Bible. April will take a picture of what she's reading in her book. And it's like amazing. And I think it's life-giving. I really do. Absolutely. It's a great way to stay in touch with our adult children. And, and we do that all the time. We have a family thread. And for the longest time, we wouldn't add my oldest son's girlfriend in there. We'd, I'd add her and they'd pull her out. And then once he asked her to marry him and she became the fiance, then they let her in. You know, it was like That's this, right. okay, now you are you one commit. of us. You're one of us. So, <laughs> Hey, your last one, I saved number 10 for last because I think it is the most urgent. And I want to end there because I want these guys to have an action item today, a boots on the ground. And I think this is going to be it. You said this as godly fathers, sometimes we have to take an honest look at our family and our homes to see what spiritual junk we've allowed to creep in. But when we do this, the first honest look we should take is one right in the mirror. So this 10th point of your 28 Kent is a godly dad purifies his home from evil. And you go through a series of questions in this chapter uh, I, I think that we as dads are, are way too tolerant of what we allow in our homes. Can you talk to us about purifying the home? When Nehemiah took over Jerusalem, uh, there was all kinds of junk in the temple. And one of the things he did after they built the wall is he governed Jerusalem faithfully for a long time. And part of his role as governor was reinstituting the things of God. And one of the things he had to do in order to get the temple functioning correctly was get the garbage out of the temple. Yeah. <laughs> People were like literally using it to store their own stuff. And he had to go in there and he chucked it all out in the middle of the street. Uh, he's dragging guys around by their hair. Like he was, when he needed to kick butt and take names, he did. Um, for us as dads, we've got to be able to take, if you could take your home, you could see your home as a person and you could take that person 
and stick in their mouth a thermometer and you can pull that thermometer out and take the spiritual temperature of your home. How, what is the spiritual state of your home? What's the, what's the COVID test? What's the, uh, what's the scan that you could give your home where you go, Hey, this is where my home is spiritually. Is there about, about three months ago, my wife uh, came to me one day and goes, we have been yelling at the kids a lot. And she's like, especially you. Mm. And I'm like, you're right. And so we just doubled down. April and I, we doubled down. We said, you know what? We're not, we don't need to yell at the kids. We we don't need to yell at the kids. We're, they need to go to timeout. They need to not eat dinner. They, they need, you know, a spanking. They need, or something needs to go down. No problem. But we need to quit yelling. The spiritual temperature of anger mm. in my home mm-hmm. had just floated up, floated up, floated up to the point where we finally went, wait a minute. We need to dial this back down. And we both gave each other permission to just do the timeout sign, the waving the hand sign, anything to get one of us to quit yelling whenever we were tempted to. And the temperature of our home has come down a lot in the last few months um and so every now and then we just got to take a spiritual inventory and we've got to get big chunks of evil out of our home it might be what we're watching on tv it might be the music we're playing around it might be the tone of our conversation it may be how we talk about our pastor how we talk about our bosses that kind of stuff man we got to get that evil out of our home and we can't ever make it 100 percent pure jesus died for our sins i'm not trying to replace the cross what i am saying is it is my job to walk through my home occasionally, spiritually, mentally, and say, where is the garbage right now? And how can I get it out? And to the degree that I can, I do. And it starts with me. It starts in my own heart. Where's the garbage? Where's the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the lust, the pride? Where is that in my heart? Because my home won't be any more spiritually uh, square than my own heart is, generally speaking. Well, and it goes back to that earlier point about the godly dad anticipates potential trouble. And so walk around. I mean, I wouldn't allow a stripper into my home and do a dance, a lap dance on the, the table. But what, why do I allow that on the TV? Or or I wouldn't allow uh, uh, any of my children to cuss at me and to drop F-bombs, but I'm allowing that on the television. So we have to be really careful. And it's it's a it's a difficult world to navigate in with all the technology. And so we really need to be uh, vigilant in doing yeah, that with parents. So. Word. So Kent, thanks so much for coming on again. It's always a a, a great pleasure. I, I know I've got guys out there, you know, those personalities, they've got to have all the lists and they're dying right now because they're like, <laughs> what about the other 18? <laughs> so if, if there are those men out there who want those other 18 and those other guys are going, man, this is really intriguing. You know, what, what's, how do we finish this? I want to, I want to finish this dialogue. How can these guys pick up your book? Here it is right here. Bring your hammer. How can they pick this up and get involved in your ministry? Well, go snag the book, Bring Your Hammer at Amazon. You'll find it on there. Leave us a good review. That'd be amazing. And then secondly, if you need anything, we got a zillion of free resources, blogs, podcasts, you name it. We got a ton of free resources at manhoodjourney.org. That's manhoodjourney.org. And real quick as a commercial at the end here, Jim, I just want to say we had a good conversation yesterday, you and I, and I want your listeners to know that Jim Ramos is the real deal. He is actually in private, even cooler than he is in public, and that you have been a tremendous encouragement to me and our ministry, and you've spoken truth. You have given me great feedback. You've given me access to the lessons God's taught you, and man, I really, really appreciate you being a kingdom-minded ministry running buddy, and if anybody out there ever wonders, what's Jim like in private? Well, I think you're better in private than you are in public. Thanks for being a friend. I appreciate it. What reminds me of uh, when I was in high school playing basketball, yeah, I played v- basketball. We weren't very good. But going for a ball and having two guys holding the same ball and going, wait, same team, same team. We're on the same team. You know, so, I mean, I, you know, we got to function. Like, if I make you better and if I can create a, a greater following for you and greater influence, don't we all win? I mean, don't we all win? And so I, we have to celebrate that stuff with guys. So, hey, guys, before I let you go and get you to our man law of the week, man, your assignment this week is to clean house. Clean house. Go on a what date what night with your wife, hang out with her, or have a meal with your family and go, guys, what, what what is in this house right now that really, if Jesus were here, he'd he'd be a little ticked. <laughs> he'd be he'd be a little irked. He'd break out the whips and clean the temple. So so guys, clean your house. I think this is gonna be a, a great dialogue for you and your family. Kent, thanks so much for coming on the show, taking your time. Uh, you are the number one guest more times than any other guy. So man, I'll tell you what, uh, you are, you are blessed and privileged. So love you, brother. Have a great week. Same to you, brother. Thanks for having me on. 
All right, man. Have a great day. Hey guys, our man laws are supplied by you, our listeners. And when we use your man law, we will send you some swag just to say thank you. This week's man law comes from Richard Bichot. And he said this, never use the word yummy or any derivative thereof. And the rule of life there, I think, is this. Earn the respect of your masculine peers. Earn the respect of your masculine peers. Hey, guys, be watching for the release of my book, Man Laws, 100 Ways to Have Your Man Card Revoked and Rules to Live By. That will be uploaded to our website sometime around the new year. So be watching for that. You're going to love that resource. But head on over to menandarena.org anyway. Pick up your free copy of my book. Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. Guys, this is a great, great resource for you guys. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.